a million streams on Spotify is roughly $4,000. It's a little bit less than that. But we'll use that just for like rounding sake. And so for these artists out there competing to get, you know, hundreds of millions of streams, and that's the base economics, it's very difficult for you to see a significant return off of those plays. But I would say that for the vast majority of artists, they're not going to get a million streams on Spotify. Like that's a very challenging thing to do. And for the hit records, they're making great money off of Spotify. But for the independent artists that don't have the capacity to have that many listens, you know, NFTs create this new paradigm where if you can find 25 collectors willing to spend 0.1 ETH on your records, you're actually making just as much, if not more money than you would off a million streams off Spotify, just off the back of 20 people that really love your work. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the issuer of USDC, which hopefully, as you all know, is the preferred stablecoin of digital natives and crypto natives with over 1.5 million holders globally. You'll hear more about USDC later in the show. Santi, so, you putting it on? I'm trying to put it on, but I don't know if it's going to fit. Is it going to fit? Oh, oh love that. that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have a guest episode here. It's uh, much more. No, it's not. No, I'm kidding. Not. <laughs> What's the story behind that, Santi? Uh, Mo is a, really, uh, is a great guy. Shout out to Mo. And he was super kind enough to send me send me this one. And by the way, the only NFT that I have that remotely close to music is is Marshmallow. So shout out to Marshmallow. He's fantastic and is crushing it. Yeah, absolute legend. Definitely co-sign the shout out to Mo too. He's a killer. I mean, I was going to do this like nice fancy intro for you, Coop, but like this, the, the intro does not get better than this. Anyways, guys, welcome back to another episode of Empire. We got Koopa Trooper, uh, Koopa Troopa. We got Santi joining me co-host today. We're talking all things music NFTs. If you haven't listened uh, Coop has already been on Empire. We've talked all things DAOs. Now we're talking music NFTs. Uh, Cooper just raised $10 million for music NFT funds. So Coop, welcome uh, to Empire, my friend. Thank you, guys. Excited to be back here. Yeah. Uh, we are going to talk all about music NFTs in this episode. Want to get really, really deep with you. You red-pilled me on DAOs a couple of years ago, and now uh, we are having you here to red-pill us on music NFTs. But I think, can you just give the lay of the land uh, in terms of what you just raised and the fundraise and like uh, what, what the 10 million is going to, we can get that out of the way and then we can jump really deep into um, just kind of state of the industry and things like that. Sure. So Coop Records is a $10 million early stage fund investing in the next generation of music. This is everything from Web3 companies to artists to NFTs. I wanted to create a vehicle that's sort of a hybrid between a venture fund and a record label. And that's uh, what we announced last week and what we're going to be spending a lot of time on over the next couple of years. Amazing, man. So what, uh, I'm assuming you're not just buying floors of music NFTs, you're allocating a couple hundred thousand bucks into companies, projects, protocols, uh, and just really trying to lay the land for the music NFT space? Yeah, it's correct. The vast majority of investments are pre-seed and seed stage companies, um, anywhere from 10 to 20 mil post money valuations. Typical check is 250K. Um, really looking to get large ownership stakes in the early protocols and platforms that'll shape the next generation of music. Nice, man. So what's up? What are you actually investing in? Like, are you buying pieces of music? Uh, like, I, I can look through my Spotify and be like, am I going to be able to buy all the major songs that I like? Or um, for everyone that doesn't really know what music NFTs are, could you just explain it to, to them? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the goal is to be able to collect any song that you know and love. You know, I think right now it's a very passive relationship with music where if you like a song, you add it to a playlist. Maybe you share it on your Instagram story. But for people such as myself that have had um, a 10-year relationship with music and have an identity around it, I want to go deeper into that song. And so what that looks like for me is a limited quantity of collectibles, let's say 25 editions of a song, uh, a fixed price at primary sale, and then a secondary market where you can trade those collectibles with other people. Are you earning a, some sort of royalty, a touch thought? There have been ser uh, several attempts um, at kind of reinventing the music industry with uh, crypto, if you will, like obviously Jason Blau is doing uh, perhaps the most, the, the farthest along I've seen, but they're like the, uh, what is it, Jesse, actually, your folks a variant uh, um, and Dennis tried to do this way back and then kind of didn't really work. But I'm curious if you could give us an understanding and an, and an overview of kind of what has been, we talk a lot about industries where crypto can disrupt um, music and the entertainment kind of media industry keeps coming up, but so far it hasn't largely been successful, but maybe music NFTs are like the most exciting thing uh, to come out of that. But I'm curious if you give us a, like a lay of the land of what's happened, what's been tried, why hasn't it been tried and kind of why this time is different. Yeah, I'd say a lot of the early music plays were around uh, decentralized content storage. So things like uploading metadata to IPFS, things like decentralized streaming protocols like Audius. So this is very much like where does the content actually live? And then what is sort of the way that you're tracking usage of that across multiple rights holders? Um, I think to your early questions about royalties, 
there's a lot of exciting stuff happening around like allowing someone to own a percentage of a song that they love. So if I know a song on Spotify and there's an NFT of it, you know, there are platforms out there that allow you to own, you know, a small fraction of the master rights of that song. I think what's important to recognize is that's not required for music NFTs. I think that that's actually a premium that goes above the base layer, which is just a collectible song. And so at its core, if you have an NFT, which is pointing to a song, you're collecting a version of that. And that has no master rights to it, no publishing, no utility guaranteed. It's literally just collecting a fixed quantity of a song. If you want to go and add in premiums like giving it royalty rights or giving it access or something, I think that's great. But I think it's really important to highlight that this is a net new revenue stream. If you're selling collectible versions of your song, that doesn't mean you're giving away ownership. It doesn't mean you're trying to compete with existing systems. You're really just creating a new market that hasn't previously existed before. That's interesting. So this actually, for a lot of the artists out there that might be listening, like they have existing pretty pretty tied, I think, contracts with the record labels and venues and all this stuff. And so this contractually, like they're able to mint music NFTs on their entire history of, of hits and it's okay. Like, you know, I guess like contractually, they're not like infringing on some of these contracts. Uh, not blanket across the board. I would say if you are minting music NFTs, you need to ascribe by the current rights management system. So if you have a label deal where the label is entitled to 80% of your master, um, it's good practice to recognize that you probably have to give up 80% of your music NFT sales to the labels. And because of this, most of the time that I spend is with emerging independent artists, people who don't have contractual obligations. They own 100% of the rights to their music and they don't have any um, blockers in place to kind of creating these economic systems. And I think those are the artists that are going to see the most value out of this new format is because they don't have to go through the existing system. They can really create their own playbooks. And I want to take us back out for, for a second. Like this, music NFTs in my mind are solving a problem. The problem is you can have a huge fan base, you can have millions of listeners, uh, and really the ways to monetize are pretty crappy, right? The, the best ways to monetize today are probably like you do like a an influencer deal, like some like a brand pays you, uh, you, you drop merchandise, and then probably the third way is you do like concerts and you, you sell out concerts like those. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some things, but really what I feel like this is solving is millions of listeners on Spotify. Spotify doesn't pay you jack shit, right? So like, I'd, I'd actually be curious to get your take on like, how did we get here? Like, how did we, what's the evolution? Like, how did we get here? Like Napster, LimeWire, uh, uh, Apple Music, ending with now, I feel like everyone uses Spotify. Like, how did we get here? And then, um, yeah, let's, let's start there. Basically, um, at some point in time, you had to buy an entire album to be able to listen to one single. And so you're paying $20 to be able to listen to your favorite song. Um, Napster came along and they basically made it free to listen to any song. But then there was an entire rights argument process where people weren't getting paid out for the music they were releasing. And then the iTunes store came along and said, you can buy any single for 99 cents. And then Spotify came along and said, hey, for $9.99 a month, you can listen to any song in the world. The only problem with that is that Spotify is a business having to compensate every song in the world based on a $9.99 a month subscription is very, very difficult. And so I don't think that Spotify is malicious. I don't think they're trying not to pay artists. I think that the economics behind it are just very tricky. And to really give that some color, um, a million streams on Spotify is roughly $4,000. It's a little bit less than that. We'll use that just for like rounding sake. And so for these artists out there competing to get you know hundreds of millions of streams, and that's the base economics, it's very difficult for you to see a significant return off of those plays. But I would say that for the vast majority of artists, they're not going to get a million streams on Spotify. Like that's a very challenging thing to do. And for the hit records, they're making great money off of Spotify. But for the independent artists that don't have the capacity to have that many listens, you know, NFTs create this new paradigm where if you can find 25 collectors willing to spend 0.1 ETH on your records, you're actually making just as much, if not more money than you would off a million streams off Spotify, just off the back of 20 people that really love your work. Hmm. It's interesting. I, you know, Kevin Kelly, like the thousand true fans, I feel like a thousand true fans. I mean, he nailed that post, but I feel like it's permeated into a bunch of other industries. And like now Substack is obviously built on the back of that. It's built like even B2B businesses, like you really just need a, you know, maybe a hundred customers to, to, to build a very strong business, but it hasn't actually permeated into the music industry, right? A, a, a million uh, listens with getting 4,000 bucks is like abysmal numbers there. Obviously Spotify is not trying to do wrong by these artists. That's just the economics of the business. Yeah, and I wouldn't compare streaming to NFTs one-to-one because -one they're very different systems. There's like right. different economics behind it. But I would say that um, the idea of like supporting an artist through patronage is not new. You know, we've had Patreon, we've had these fan clubs, we have Facebook groups and whatnot. I think the new paradigm here is secondary market for fandom. So after I actually contribute and show my patronage, I'm getting an asset back in return that has some underlying value that I can either resell on the secondary market or kind of use as like an identity status game. 
I think the net new thing here is that it's not really about um, super fans being able to support their biggest artists. That's been around for a very long time. It's the idea that as a super fan, I can now have an investment into the artists that I know and love the most, and then hopefully have a positive financial experience with that song or that artist that I really love. You're solving the, um, you know, that feeling that you get when you find someone early and then you text them. Like I find someone and even like an Instagram account, like I, someone blows up on Instagram, they have like 300,000 followers. You're like, yeah, yeah, but I was following them when they had 5,000 followers. Like, I feel like you're almost. You're what kind of people your... are we, are we talking about here, Jason, in terms of following? Uh, I would assume like, you know, like mostly business accounts and whatnot, right? Just business accounts. Correct. Strictly, right. strictly business accounts. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> but so I'm, I'm going to give you a real world thing here, which is like Fred again, been following Fred again for a long time. Like, like I am, it's like Fred again in terms of who I like to listen to. And then it's like a massive drop off. And then it's like every other artist in my mind. And like now I'm seeing Fred again blow up and I'm like, holy shit. Like I, that dude, he's blowing up now. And I'm texting all my friends. Like, and I get, I listen to every single Fred again thing. I can get my hands on every YouTube interview with him. I listen to the tape notes, hearing him like describe how he puts together an album. I'm like that anything that dude puts out, I will listen to. And also if you extend it beyond that, if that dude dropped music NFTs, like, like, I don't want to just attend his concert. Like, I want to drop ETH and, like, b- collect his his music NFT. So that was the first, like, real music NFT moment I had um, was, you, was with Fred again. Um, are you buying audio, video, uh, audio, video uh, images? Like, what are the kind of things that you're buying? What is your, what are the things that you're most, like, what is your investment criteria and, like, framework um, to value these NFTs? two questions but maybe we can start separate them yeah so at its core you're collecting a song it's an audio file with a cover art the same way you would listen to a song on spotify except now there's a fixed digit limited quantity of them um my investment criteria is more based on like the artist's relationship with the space than it is on like the specific song economics itself and so basically is this artist being consistent are they releasing music nfts with all of the tracks that they're putting out are they investing back into the community after their drops are they showing potential to scale the economics behind their music NFTs, both in quantity and price, is there volume on the secondary market? And is there sort of a, you know, understanding that this person is going to be involved in the space for a while forward? I would say that's the vast majority of my investment criteria is just like artist development and A&R, which is a pretty common practice. You know, as Yano suggested, you know, if I could collect Fred again NFTs um, two years ago, I think that would have been a great investment that doesn't exist. And so it's kind of like looking for the artists that are native to the space today and trying to find ways to support them in the earliest point in their career possible. And how do you think about the investment horizon? Now you have a fund. Congrats! Uh, I think it's perhaps the be- the first fully focused fund on music NFTs. Um, so I think that's uh, that's a pretty big splash. Ten million is not a small amount. No- nonetheless, I think uh, if you're structured like a venture fund, I mean you have to return capital to investors at some point. So how do you think about the relationship between the artist and you at some point having to sell the NFT to recoup and then return some capital back to investors? Well, the fund is only using 5% of its capital to buy liquid music NFTs. The vast, vast majority of it is purchasing equity and pre-seed and seed stage companies and then working with artists to set up new capital formation events where you can buy equity and underlying artist projects. And so to answer that question directly, I don't think that the fund will be selling music NFTs to see a return. I think a more likely scenario is very common to traditional venture where we're buying equity in a pre-seed project, um, helping them raise a couple of rounds and eventually launching a token. And at some point in time, taking profits on the tokens that have been issued to investors. So this would be maybe give us an idea of what those kind of pre-seed seed stage investments would be. This is mostly like music NFT infrastructure, marketplaces, or um, even artists themselves. I'm, I'm curious how you think about. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a little bit of alpha here on the podcast. So we'll go into the only thing we want to hear. <laughs> yeah, so there's um, an investment coming out this week that we uh, co-led called Relics. This is um, Monster Cat, which is the largest independent electronic label in Canada. They spun out a metaverse music company that's doing distribution into different virtual worlds. They're also doing label catalog onboarding where they're bringing on music NFTs from all of these different enterprises. And, um, you know, Coop Records is buying equity in the pre-seed stage of the Relics company. And so, you know, very early stage. This is the first time they raise capital. They've done a bunch of drops on Nifty Gateway. They have all these concepts for how their metaverse music project's going to work. And, um, you know, we're working really closely with them to think through their season two structure and then think through ways to better distribute content into virtual worlds moving forward. Hmm. It's it's really interesting, Coop, because I feel like there's an, this idea that a lot of artists have about like not selling equity. Um, 
right? Like if you're a, if you're a big musician, it's like you, you've got a whole team around you. You've probably got dozens, if not hundreds of people around you, but like, you don't have a company. It's kind of like, you're like monetizing your name, you know? Uh, and so it's, it, it's almost like the, it's the Tim Ferriss, like thing, you, like Tim Ferriss can't get acquired, right? It's like, it's his name that's got value. So it's like when, when Blau, like let's use Blau as an example. So like, or, uh, I don't know, like Tiesto or something like Tiesto's value just accrues to his name. So in this instance, would you, if you were working with Tiesto from the beginning, like, would you recommend that he almost creates a company and flows that puts value into his company, hires developers, hires marketers, and then like eventually that company gets acquired? Like what, what do you almost like propose to some of these artists who are used to just building equity value through their own name and their own brand? That's exactly what we're doing. We're working with select artists to set up a corporation which has claims on their touring, their streaming, their publishing, their merchandise, their NFT. We're routing all of that through a hold company and then doing subsidiaries that you know limit the liability in all of those different um, entities. And then we're selling off 5 or 10% of the equity to accredited investors who are going to be long-term partners in developing their project. Using that capital, we're going to be hiring people, like you just said, developers, community managers, et cetera, and then building additional product around the music so that outside of like the NFTs that are being released, you also have these new experiences around fan clubs, shows, merchandise, et cetera. And then optimistically, uh, best case scenario would be something like a rock nation where, you know, an artist like Jay-Z spins up his own record label. And then the parent co has a claim on all these other enterprises that the artist sets up later in their career. Hmm. Taking, honestly, taking NFTs out of this whole thing, music NFTs out of this whole thing. Like, I feel like even just that is a better system, right? Because imagine if you're, I don't know, like if you're, I'll, I'll go back to Fred again. Like if you're Fred again's manager, who I think is his like brother or his cousin or something like that, like, and you're with him in the early days and then like you get dropped after five years in, in companies. Like if you were an employee, like Olaf Carlson, we like, if you were early at Coinbase, you're employee number one, you build it. And then like you get, you, you drop, well, you have equity in the company, but that doesn't exist mm -hmm. in the music world. So even taking NFTs out of it, even just that I feel like is, uh, is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, most of the music industry offers on a part-time commission basis. Most managers have five or six clients, as you just alluded to, they get dropped and then their income stream is cut off immediately after that. You know, there's cases like Dua Lipa where her managers have been with her since day one, um, they get fired and then there's just no long-term exposure to the project. And so what I'm starting to think is why are we treating artists differently from the way that we think about early stage tech companies and why not give, you know, early employees grants that they can earn, invest over a multi-year time horizon, even if it doesn't end up working out you know, that person should have some claim on like the underlying success of the artist. And I think that it helps to align incentives a lot more than the current structures that exist today. Hmm. Can you just give us a state of the music NFT space right now? Like I know there's like Audius and Royal and like, I think Sound XYZ, but I, I really don't, I'm not too deep into it. Could you just give us like a lay of the land and state of the industry? Sure. I mean, most of my time is spent on Sound XYZ right now. You have an artist that uploads a song, typically anywhere from 25 to 50 copies, usually at 0.05 ETH. Um, they have a release date and they have a time. They'll do a Twitter space 30 minutes before. Song will drop and then people will collect those records. And then once it sells out, you have a secondary market forming on OpenSea. You know, the numbers aren't crazy, but typically you're seeing anywhere from five to 10 songs uploaded a week. Most of these are selling anywhere from 10 to 50 copies. And then you're seeing a couple ETH of secondary market volume if you're lucky. But I would say the wider premise here is that there's now a growing movement of like Web3 native artists. So these are artists that are putting out music only as music NFTs. They're making sure that every time they drop the song on Spotify, they have music NFTs with it. And more of their time is spent on sort of developing their collector community than their like larger fan base. And there's kind of this, you know, separation between um, a fan who's going to stream my music on Spotify, which is a very passive relationship. And then a collector who's willing to spend a couple hundred bucks to buy one of my music NFTs and the communication and the relationship that comes with those individuals. I mean, it's really not too different than like the traditional art world where you have a, you know, you might have a big artist with a million followers on Instagram uh, and they're enjoying the post and they're getting likes from those folks. But really there's like a core group of 100, 200 people who might actually purchase their art. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like a, a stack. You know, this is kind of like the thesis for the fund is I believe that DeFi was so successful because of the idea of composability. Everyone was sharing their contracts, their liquidity, et cetera. Um, with music, things are very fragmented right now. But I think for the next generation of music, you know, something like Audius can plug in directly with something like Sound XYZ, which can plug in directly with something like Royal. And you can kind of have this full stack, you know, release strategy where when you're putting out music in Web3, it's not only about selling 25 copies on sound, but you can kind of have this composable ecosystem where those assets can sit within different platforms. And as a fan and a collector of those assets, there's many different ways that I can use them. And then optimistically, there's different ways to earn 
you know, yield and a return on those assets, whether it be through royalties or secondary sales or whatever it might be to actually give all of these assets underlying value. What's the, um, along this thread, like, how do you see the music, like, where's the music industry in the next five, 10 years? How much adoption do you think is going to happen? Um, where does that place the record labels, the artists, um, things like Spotify? I'm curious what your grand thesis is for the music industry. I think that all music will become free to listen and people will pay to collect it if they really love it. And so I think that like streaming as an industry is probably a race to zero, more or less. Like if you want to listen to something for free, you can. And I think systems will be designed where you're going to be collecting revenue based off the support of your biggest fans rather than trying to rely on like one giant subscription membership fee across the board. And so I think Spotify will still be around. I think in five to 10 years, there's no way that it's going anywhere. It's the biggest music company in the world and that's not going to change anytime soon. But I think there's going to be a net new marketplace for collectibles. I think there's going to be a net new marketplace for investing in creators where you can buy governance tokens that represent a creator's brand. And I think in aggregate, we're going to start to see a lot more deeper relationships between fans and artists. And what's going to come out of that is let's call it a thousand of these artist projects that are much more focused on the quality of their individual collector and much more than the quantity of fans that they have. And we're going to kind of see this segmentation where many artists are thriving off the back of having 500, a thousand collectors, and they're not shooting to get 10 million listens on Spotify because they found a new way that allows them to, you know, be a lot more free creatively and just have a very different relationship with their fans. Have you noticed, um, and I'm not like, I, lo- I like music. I appreciate it, but I am curious if, like the quality of the music changes as well. Certainly for like influencers, you know, the evolution of an, of an influencer is you start off with pure qual- like quality content that gets you the first 100,000 followers, the first million followers, if you will. At some point, that relationship, that quality gets corrupted and gets far, you know, because the economics are so bad for these uh, influencers, if you will, they end up doing paid sponsorships and all it gets, you see, the relationship gets really influenced by the terrible economics. Um, I don't know if that's true in the music industry where like certain record labels are pushing certain agendas and type of like type of music. And if that ever changes and what kind of music emerges in a more free flowing kind of egalitarian system. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what's happening today. Every label in the world is encouraging their artists to make TikToks so that they can have a viral single that will get 100 million plays on Spotify. Songs are becoming shorter to where they're like a minute or two minutes in length. Um, Artists are dreading having to wake up and make 10 TikToks in a day because it's what their label is telling them to do. And I think that it's funny that we don't have a world where you can just go and release the music that you love to put out and then have the people who love that the most collect it and not have to worry about some gimmicky strategy to try and get a viral hit, which is highly unlikely in the first place. All this for 400000 based on your math? Yep, correct. Got it. All right, everyone. Time for a quick word from Circle and USDC. As a crypto user, you know the power of stablecoins. Dollar digital currencies that transcend borders, banking hours, and legacy financial rails. Well, Circle's USDC has quickly become one of the most trusted and widely used stablecoins. It's simple. People use USDC because of its composability, its stability, and its reserve transparency. And USDC isn't just adopted by a few of us DeFi DGENs and DAOs and NFT marketplaces, crypto companies alike, they all leverage USDC to diversify their treasury, asset management, and ecosystem-wide composability. The adoption's clear. USDC's grown to more than $50 billion in circulation since launching in 2018. We all have and we all will continue to take shots on our favorite volatile crypto assets, obviously, but USDC is one of the easiest ways to store your funds in a stable asset that can be used to send value around the world almost instantly. It lowers the cost of cross-border payments. It integrates into the growing ecosystem of crypto apps. As a seamless, trusted dollar digital currency, USDC is a zero to one opportunity for the financial system. If you want to learn more about USDC, I would recommend you check out the recently published Transparency Hub on Circle.com. It's a great update to Circle's content on USDC. It outlines everything from links to their weekly reserve reports, monthly attestations, blog posts that are written by their exec team that highlight how and why USDC was built the way it is. Really recommend it. Just go to Circle.com backslash transparency to access it. Now, let's get back to the show. 
Cool. Let me ask you. I got a buddy uh, from home, one of my closest high school and middle school friends, uh, and he does well on Spotify. I think he's got probably 70, 80, 90,000 like followers. He probably has like three or four songs with like three, four, five million streams. Um, it's interesting. I was talking to him. I don't think he's ever released an album because he's like the economics of the albums don't make sense anymore. It's like just single, single, single not into crypto though. Like, I don't think he owns any like ETH. Like, I don't think he's like got a MetaMask set up. Do you recommend to folks like that? Like, Hey, you should really dabble with music NFTs or like, do you think you need all parts of the equation where like you're a great independent musician, you have a strong community and you're very into crypto or like someone like my friend, are you like, what are you doing, buddy? Like go get your music NFTs out there. Uh, I mean, I think it takes a very special type of person to want to lean in here. I'd say the uh, question is less about like dabbling with NFTs. It's more about what are the relationship with your biggest supporters? You know, a lot of people have an audience, but not many, many have a community. And so something as simple as a collector group on Telegram or a Discord server, these are very new concepts. You know, most artists that have Discords have no clue what they're doing with them. It's just like this very passive channel of relationships where they're just like, shitposting with their fans basically but i think the dynamic that shifts with music nfts is these collectors are eager and excited to participate in deeper conversations they're talking to you about the economics of your next drop like what's the supply you should do what's the price you should do um should we do a mint pass what site should i release on who are different artists that i think that you could collaborate with and collect with and so for someone like your friend i would say it's not necessary by any means i think yeah obviously every time you put out a song on spotify you should be selling 25 music NFTs with that. That's just a no brainer. And it doesn't take away from anything. But I think as far as like, what's going to make it successful, it's very much a time commitment over like a knowledge commitment. You know, it just takes time to understand the key players in the space. It takes time to understand kind of the culture around it. But, you know, as all of us can see on this podcast, investing time in understanding Web3 culture has dozens and dozens of different implications for it. And if you are an artist that's doing anything in music, I think it would be naive not to pay attention to what's happening here over the next two years. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, from a like return potential, like, is it um, like, does it ever work against an artist by doing music NFTs? You know, we've seen the price of a lot of NFTs collapse mm-hmm. recently, and if you would have bought a board ape at the top, you're you're maybe not as happy by looking at these ugly apes. Uh, I'm a punk. I love punks, but apes just aesthetically don't do it for me. And I've been oh, on the just, record just like throwing this. shots at the at, at board. <laughs> I'm not bitter, man. I, I used to own them. Shout out to the team. Like, <laughs> look, they've done something remarkable. I just I'm a, I like collecting things that I like, not just I don't do it for investment reasons. You know what I mean? And and maybe this is the, the filter where you just like, look, I'm going to buy music NFTs as a collector. But it strikes me as pretty interesting that you're doing it from a fund. Now, of course, it's a smaller piece of your portfolio, but I'm curious, like more from a fan and managing the community, which is so hard in crypto, you can get it right. But it is also it it introduces a, a layer here that I am curious to get your thoughts on as can it ever backfire for an artist? And should every artist be doing a music NFT or or not? It can definitely backfire. I think there was an entire generation of artists that released music NFTs on Nifty Gateway that are feeling this pain very vividly today. You know, they got guidance from their team to sell 15 second audiovisual clips for a couple hundred thousand dollars with no game plan on how to engage those collectors whatsoever. And so the difference of what you're seeing today is that these drops are structured a lot more conservatively. You know, like I said, it's 25, 50, 100 editions under 0.1 ETH. And so you're grossing anywhere from one to 10 ETH on the high side. And so just from like an expectation standpoint, I think it's a lot harder for this to backfire on you um, from sort of like, should every artist be doing this? No, not right now, at least. I think it really does require a time commitment. If you don't have that, I don't think it's worth it for you to just go out and like willy nilly go and release something. You know, I'd mm-hmm. say like if you want to set aside three to five hours a week to understanding what's happening here, it's going to be very beneficial. But if you don't have that time to invest into it, I don't think that you should be using it until you have the time to do it properly. Yeah, we talk a lot about utility um, when we in crypto generally, but within NFTs, I think a lot of projects that have done his, just traditional like PFP have have tried to like sort of sell the narrative that they're going to layer on utility and it's on the come and very few teams I think have executed on that. Um, do we need to have utility for music NFTs or is it or do you? I'm curious to get your thoughts on on that and if there is utility, kind of what are some of the use cases that you you see out there i'm, I'm hoping you say no right now coop 
Yeah, I hate the Come word on, utility. It's probably my uh, my least favorite word in all of Web three. To be honest with you, I, I think the utility the over optimization on like roadmaps and like yeah. e- e- like collect shit because you like the stuff. Jeez, like and it, let and the it, man talk. I just didn't like. I just. <laughs> I know Come what Coop's gonna say, but go ahead, Coop. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I mean, Santi, you said that you're a crypto punk collector, and I, if I had to ask you what the utility of your punk is, you'd probably laugh at me. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. it, so, it's collecting a piece of history, and I don't expect it to do anything other than me looking at it, and that's it. I don't. <laughs> I'm on the record of saying I'm never going to sell these punks. Yeah, yeah that's it. It's but the exact anyways. same thing for music NFTs. You're collecting mm-hmm. a song that you love and have a relationship with. If it decides to have additional benefits like royalties, like access, like tickets to a show, that's great. But that's not required. I mean, I literally have. Mm-hmm. 30 different shirts downstairs in my living room from all the different music NFTs I've collected of people like trying to add utility. And I say to everyone, I'm like, I don't need any of this stuff. You know, like what I'm investing into is the potential for a relationship with the creator. Mm-hmm. And so the utility, quote unquote, is basically how much can you prove that you're a value added member of this artist project? And in the event that you, you know, are successful in that, you'll probably get to meet the artist. You'll probably get to meet their team. And you'll probably get mm-hmm. to be involved as a fan with this artist project much deeper than you would ever would otherwise and i think that that's the only utility you need for these things to have value over the long term Mm -hmm. this goes back to something jason i think was saying earlier which is it feels nice to say hey look i discovered this artist when he was you know he or she was you know in a dive bar and i had a music nft and and so many people i think are like well so what and i think it's it's the digital footprint the immutable record that there's a there's a time and a place that registers the fact that you believed early in someone and and i think that is a pretty interesting relationship where of course this goes also back to like you're part of pleaser dow i think we are we really were the first ones to say we love people pleasers work and we're going to support her and other artists like ix shells and 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 so the idea is similarly here it feels pretty cool and you don't necessarily are shooting for it's a different dynamic than you buying like, a, I don't know, some sort of ERC-20 token, governance token. It's very much different. Um, but yeah, what percentage of people that collectors out there that you talk to, would you say are in that camp, which is like you, I don't care. I just want to like support them and and I don't necessarily want anything out of it versus, hey, I want to return. I want access to backstage. I want a shirt. I want to be on the tour, whatever. Like what percentage of collectors, how would you kind of segment the collector's market out there? Right now, I'd say 95% of collectors fall into the camp that I do, where we're just collecting songs and supporting artists. There's no need for utility. Um, That will change at some point in time, which is going to be inevitably sign of the times. I think we saw this with PFPs where punk collectors didn't expect utility and then you know all these new pfps came around and then everyone expected it so it'll flip at some point but part of the reason why i am so excited about the sector right now is there are personalities being developed entirely around collecting music nfts the mentality around it has shifted drastically where it's not about flipping it to make a return it's much more about like supporting the culture and the movement and i think for Mm -hmm. the people that are spending the most time on this every day you get that early feeling of like what it felt like to be collecting punks earlier what it felt like to be like a governance participant in a DeFi protocol And I think that's something that music hasn't had for a very long time. And as someone that used to be a journalist and a curator that was finding all of these artists 10 years ago on SoundCloud and Hype Machine, I'm fired up about the fact that I can now collect assets from the next emerging wave of artists and then have a digital Mm -hmm. footprint that says, hey, I supported this guy before he ever got big. Do you ever think SoundCloud kind of does something where it allows the people that are uploading stuff to, hey, right click, you know, do music NFTs? Yeah, they're smart. I mean, I think that they just got like so deep down the monetization rabbit hole that they just completely boned the culture of it. I mean, um, just to go kind of into what happened there, you know, I was a curator on SoundCloud. I was making DJ mixes. It was a beautiful time. And then something called the repost chain came along, which was basically where you could pay to have your favorite artist repost your track to all of their followers. And then once that got out of the bag, there was a chain where you could pay to have 100 of your different favorite artists repost your song to the point where the repost just lost all of its value. You couple mm-hmm. that with the fact that you now couldn't upload anything to SoundCloud and there was a lot more, you know, infringements and sort of like copyright policing and whatnot. And then the culture yeah. just left the door since then it hasn't been the same. And I think what's really working now for Web3 Music is it's very much that same sort of feeling where it's independent artists. Um, there's, mm-hmm. you know, reposts mean a lot. People collecting means a lot. And I think there's a lot of synergies between what was happening in SoundCloud in 2013 and what's happening today with music NFTs. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, if you look at the evolution of the Facebook wall, it went from being like, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, I, I can understand what people in my network are doing to like, I don't even open it. I haven't opened it in two years because I'm afraid to even open it. It's just gross. Um, I don't know. Like, so I feel like SoundCloud kind of at some point you tamper. It feels like that. it feels like NFTs help curators of culture get upside. 100 percent that's the like i don't know even like not just music nfts but like santi's punks like santi like that is a that was a good investment into culture and like folks who are able to i don't know that's why i like the roadmap stuff that's why i like jumped in santi's question about the roadmap i'm like there this isn't about the 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 actual business model of nfts suck you have a one-time drop Mm -hmm. and you have recurring revenue like that is a bad business inherently a bad business model i feel like but like you do i don't know it does like so you can't put it like a discounted cash flow around any of these things or anything like that. Like you're really just, uh, in, you're basically just giving appreciation to folks who are good at curating, uh, curating culture. Yeah. I mean, the closest analog I would make here would be CDs and vinyls. You know, there's still a market for vinyl, but the secondary marketplace for vinyl is extremely inefficient. You know, people love to buy vinyls when they have a deep relationship with music, but there's not really been a stigma around like how to participate in those markets collectively. And I think the exciting part about music and also the thing that gets me the most pushback is I like having a financial relationship with the music that I love the most. I like putting my money where my mouth is and saying, hey, this song's going to blow up. This artist is going to blow up. Um, when I'm right, you're going to buy this from me five years from now. I think that's cool. And mm-hmm. I think a lot more fans would do that if they could buy a music NFT for 20 bucks and sell it for 100 a year later and use that money to go and see a show or something. But the economics for that haven't existed before. And frankly, the tech hasn't been at a point where we can support those markets at scale, but that will happen over the next couple of years. And I think a lot more fans are going to be excited about those opportunities. Yeah. If you were to tell me that I could buy like the first ever music NFT of levels from Avicii, because I think Avicii, yes. there's never been a greatest DJ after Avicii. I'm sorry, all you guys out there, you're great and beautiful and love your music, but Avicii just struck at a different level. And I was seeing him early on when he was playing like in New York and some of these places. If I could buy the, the first like one-on-one of levels, this game over like you know there's no price to that i feel like there's the, the floor is like infinity <laughs> literally uh on that point what's the most you've paid for a music nft <laughs> um probably like four ETH, i'd say like some one-on-ones on catalog right around four ETH. i'd say most of the golden eggs on this sound is a mint up. or the second no these are these are uh yeah mint on catalog and then secondary sale on sound so one thing i want to zoom into there first of all i'm going to co-sign the avici shout out because that was my favorite artist growing up um, was yeah. the first concert I ever went to. Levels was iconic song in my career, so I love oh, that. Where, 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 t- tell us more about it. where was this concert? Uh, Twenty twelve at the Naval Yard in Philadelphia. I think I ended up going nice. on to see Avicii six times over the course of the next two years, and just like really making a habit of like having a relationship with that. So totally agree, dude was an icon. I, I knew R-A-K. I knew you were a man of culture, Coop. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, I would say that the one thing I want to zoom in on there is that there's very much a one of ones versus editions conversation happening right now. So catalog was what I would consider the first music NFT marketplace. This had like a lot of the historic works from a lot of the emerging artists that are happening today. But I'd say that the additions game is really what broke out like the potential for music NFTs. You know, the likelihood of finding a collector that's willing to spend even one ETH on a one of one record is small, but the number of people that would be willing to buy an addition for 0.02, 0.03 ETH is much higher. And I think in that Avicii example, a one of one of levels is a good flex, but a collection of a thousand editions of levels that all have, you know, the exact same feature set to them, metadata, it's really just like one versus a hundred. I think that that collection is going to perform a lot better. And this is really what Kobe was getting at with his whole like music NFT debate, like, you know, one of ones versus editions and whatnot, and the concept of like semi fungible tokens and sort of like what's driving secondary market. And that's what I think is going to drive the vast majority of volume for music NFTs too is not necessarily like the one of one super fan. It's more about creating these collections that can have a potential for secondary market because they're all semi fungible and it's much more accessible for people to get involved. T- tell us more about that. Cause I don't think a lot of people appreciate kind of this semi fungible like new standard and, and what that really means in, in the context of like addition. So if you can spend a minute on that for just someone that doesn't, doesn't heard it for the first time here, it would be great to give an overview. Yeah. So I think that a lot of time when we think of NFTs, we all think that they're extremely uniquely distinct. Like everyone is completely different from the next one. But the concept of semi-fungibility is that every token's basically the same, you know, with like a various underlying traits, but it's not an ERC-20 token, which means it's one-to-one. Like it's not a dollar. You can swap it one-to-one. But the music NFT that has additions, addition number one is different than addition number two because it's one and two. And so if you have these collections with 25, theoretically, number one should be worth more than number 25. 
but they're all basically the same. If you start a pool that has number seven with number 22, it's basically the same thing. And so the ability to trade these assets is a lot easier and more exciting because you don't have to go into like, this one is a zombie versus this one has a gold crown versus something else. They're all basically the same assets. And I think for the vast majority of volume that's going to come out of music NFTs, a lot of these collections are going to look like that where you have a fixed quantity of additions. The only difference is the number of the addition itself, but the volume is a lot higher because you can get involved across the board in a lot easier way. And you could attach certain metadata to addition two, which addition two might be the levels that was played on Tomorrowland and addition three might be the levels that was played on Coachella. Is that sort of, you can append certain metadata to that particular like one to 25, like uh, I guess you can attach no, there's no limit to the amount of metadata that you could attach to a particular like one, two, three, four, five, six, and so on. Yeah, it's correct. And so for okay. sound, they have a concept of a golden egg, which says that one out of the 25 is the one of one. And it's basically a different cover art and has a golden egg trait to it. And so I've been collecting a ton of golden eggs on sound. You know, I confidently have the most in the world right now, which I'm very proud of. But I would say broadly, the reason why it's actually good to keep these semi fungible is if you trade the addition of levels that was played at Coachella versus the addition of levels that was played in 2012, it's like kind of hard to wrap your head around like which of those is more valuable versus like removing any complexity on the traits. Like there's almost a beauty to the simplicity of like number one is worth more than number two. The golden egg is worth more than one that's not a golden egg and trying to like mm -hmm. remove like the complication. I see a lot of artists doing this thing where like they'll release a collection of like 50 songs and every song is different. Everyone has a different cover art, et cetera. And it's like, yo, like you kind of want to keep it digestible you want people to be able to wrap their head around it in a lot of right. ways the semi-fungible nature of how simple it is is actually a benefit and not a detriment yeah it's sort of like this paradox of choice that like if you go out and scan OpenSea, there's like millions of traits to some of these pfp collections you're like okay no too much um i'm curious um so i'm gonna plug a company that i invested in um and it's relevant in this context called hume uh, I don't know if you're an investor, but they're trying yeah. to do like this AI generated music. And when I first talked to these guys, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, it, it's like wild. But then I was like, the idea was so out there and they're so passionate. Uh, shout out to the team that I was like, it's a pretty asymmetric. Like if this works, like uh, AI generated music, it totally creates an entire new genre of like, just like. And, and, and recently, of course, like there's a lot of hype and excitement around AI and like, you know. AI generated art is now winning like, you know, you know, uh, awards and all that. And it's sort of this idea of like, uh, you know, the Turing test, like people don't really, does it really matter that a human created this or a machine created it? As long as it's good music, it's good music, right? It's like sort of like Oakham's Razor, like who cares? If it's going to make me dance at a nightclub, then that's all I care about, right? I am curious um, what you think about this sort of category. Uh, does it have potential? Is it something that you've looked at? I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I'm uh, extremely bullish on projects like Hume. I'm also an investor there. Um, shout out to David and Jay. I think they're doing fantastic go. work. For people that don't know about the project, the Hume Collective is a record label that creates Metastars. And so their first artist is Angel Baby, which is a fluff world avatar that now has taken on a life of its own and is an artist by the name of Angel Baby. And so they have different music NFTs that they've released. Um, these are all free mints and giveaways that have now been, you know, have a floor of let's call it like 0.5 to 1 ETH. They have a Genesis Pass where you can come and collect it and get early access to future songs and artists. And I think this idea of virtual artists is fascinating to me because there's going to be a point in time when artists need to perform in multiple places in the world at once. You know, we almost have these like physical constraints with music where an artist can only be at one place in one time. But for an artist like Angel Baby, um, they had this incredible showdown at South by Southwest. It was this dome performance or it was this fully animated 3D set. And I think there's a very real world in which an artist is dropping a song on Friday and they have shows going on in LA, New York, London, Japan, all at the exact same time. And the artist is performing because they're a virtual act in all those spots, but you have a lot more scalability and flexibility because it's not a physical human. It's a digital persona that can be many places at one time. Yeah. Nice. I didn't know you were an investor there, but I guess, I guess you're an investor in everything that's related to music. <laughs> not I mean, everything, but you know, we try and not, not everything. Yeah. Lil, uh, what's her name? Lil Michaela. Lil Michaela made 12 million bucks. She's not real. Made 12 million bucks just on Instagram posts. So, you know, mm -hmm. tough, yeah, tough I think to there's like a, I would just say like the idea that I like about these virtual artists is like, you know, we were talking earlier about like artist companies, right? And like the idea of like an artist setting up a company that represents their brand, you're saying like, okay, Tiesto is a person. So it's very hard to incorporate him. There's actually way more potential for things like Angel Baby or like little Michaela, because it's not a real human. And so the IP can be collectively divided up amongst people. 
in the event yeah. that um someone on the team dies, like God forbid, the project's not going to go away. You know, like people can carry it on. There's many people that can represent the project and whatnot. And so in a lot of ways, I think that these virtual artists actually have like more potential than real humans because that brand can live on mm -hmm. in perpetuity as ex as compared to a real human who has a finite lifespan. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, I cool mean, we started the episode with me putting on Marshmallow Mask and Marshmallow's always been like, you know, he doesn't like show his face. And so what's to say that in one concert, like it's a different person <laughs> with the same mask. And I mean, we talk about, you laugh, but we talk in crypto, the idea of uh, pseudonymity and um, is pretty powerful. And I think you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I don't want to stretch this thread too much, but it's pretty interesting that, uh, you know, uh, if you from the very beginning, people just like you for your music. And I feel like a lot of artists get a lot of pressure because they're fans. Like, it must be really hard to be an artist. Like, I think like everyone is like they get harassed by fans. It's very overwhelming. And, um, you know, in many ways, I mean, it may liberate them from that pressure where, you know, people just like you for the music and that's it. Like, you don't have to care about anything else. It must be pretty refreshing for the artist. That's what it should be. You know, I think that there's a world in which people are able to just like make a song on Wednesday, uh, put it up for sale on Thursday, make a couple thousand bucks on it and then just rinse and repeat. Not have to worry about like a six week release schedule and not have to worry about signing a distribution deal or a label deal, going on a headline tour, which for what it's worth, and I'll put this on the podcast, most artists lose money on their first tours. Like when they go on a headline tour and they play 10 cities around the US, like they're losing money to do that. They're just doing that to go and make fans. Like the upside on music is really like getting a residency in Vegas or getting like a festival play at Coachella or something like that. But for the vast majority of artists, like you're paying to get exposure the vast majority of the way there. And I think we need better systems where the people who love you the most should be able to say like, hey, maybe don't go on the headline tour. Maybe like stay around the people that you know and love and make another project that I can listen to. And I think trying to unpack that stigma around like every song needing to be this like really fine polished piece of art that was spent like six months with 10 different producers. It's like, yo, where do we get back to the culture of SoundCloud where someone would make a banger at midnight and then upload it at 12.05 and then it would go viral by the morning. And I think that culture is necessary and becoming a lot more prevalent with NFTs because people don't need editorial placements to succeed they just need 50 people who like their music. And if they find that, they're much more free to release whatever they want. Yeah. I'm curious um, where, uh, and I asked you this, it's sort of related to what I asked you earlier, where you saw the music going, but what other, what are the things around music NFTs? Like what are some of the other avenues and monetization aspects that you see other than music NFTs for artists that could leverage um, kind of Web3 crypto generally? I think membership passes are really important. So rather than collecting one specific song, if I want access into wider opportunities in that artist ecosystem, so let's call this discounted tickets to um, see the artist perform live, discounted merchandise, you know, early access to different NFT mints and whatnot, you know, having this sort of duality between collecting one individual song and then being part of like a wider membership club, you know, there's kind of a bigger movement around like tokenized fan clubs that's happening right now. I would say also there's a big push around sort of decentralized streaming. So if you have a quick you know, synopsis on that. If I stream your track on Spotify today, um, that artist isn't typically seeing a payout from that for like three to six months. And so there's a big, you know, focus within the industry now on how do we expedite royalty payments and create like better relationships on a stream by stream basis. And then the last one that I would call out would be like events, you know, ticketing, let's call it. So basically right now there's all these ticket fees with Ticketmaster, there's secondary market scalping, there's, you know, inefficiency of fan data. And there's a lot of projects out there that are thinking about ways to better bring that data in-house and then make better economic systems for ticketing. And that in aggregate is just like, you know, a glimpse at sort of this wider Web3 music ecosystem that I'm really excited about investing in. Yeah, the ticketing use case is one that is always keeps coming up, right? It's so inefficient and uh, the venues, like really the scalpers and the venues like profiting a lot, it's super inefficient price discovery. And if anything, like you can have a way more fluid uh, price discovery if it's represented as an NFT and traded freely in secondary market. and. And, and I think you can attach certain like uh, guarantees where the artist makes a certain percentage on the secondary resale. And that has always, always kind of been uh, like Tari started off of this and there's a few I think other that's a attempts. big like 2017 narrative, like a it, 20, it one of the classic 2017. I, I still yeah. believe it's going to work. And, yeah. and I think like uh, you just, I mean, Andre kind of did this with Wineshare where the pricing on NFT, uh, the pricing on Nexus coverage was highly inefficient. And then he created a secondary market by wrapping it and created wine sure. And then all of a sudden you had a better market where it was telling you that the 
cover on Nexus was widely underpriced, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. given the risks in DeFi. And so, in a similar manner, you can create a you know a NFT for for a lot of these concerts. And also, talk to us about one of the things that I I pre- I'm not an expert in the music industry, but like my understanding is that artists have very little information about their fan base today, and they could have way more information if they have NFTs represented as tickets, if they mint NFTs to their fan base in the concert where you scan a QR code, all of a sudden you know if your representative kind of fan base in New York loves board apes or punks or cool cats and everything else that they've done on chain if they're just having one wallet. And that's pretty powerful data to to have if you're an artist, right? If you want to market to them, if you want to, you know, do collaborations. Marshmallow is doing a collaboration with Coca-Cola, you know, as an example, right? And so I feel like this type of data has historically been for gatekeepers like Spotify and concert venues, but in the hands of artists, I think would be a lot of good for them, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that most artists wouldn't know what to do with it, but I think that the premise of having an on-chain social graph for everyone who's collected or touched your NFTs is extremely valuable. You know, like you just said, giving out po-ops, that show is a great way to do this. Being able to see who's collected your last sound drop is fantastic. But in the industry today, if I have 10 million monthly listeners, I have no clue who those people are. I know like the top five cities in which people are playing my music. I know when people post on Spotify wrapped at the end of every year, like who five of those fans are who really love my music, but I don't have email addresses. I don't have like their Instagram handle or their Twitter, or anything like that. Um, and I definitely don't have a way to like reach them for free. You know, if I want to reach all my followers on Instagram, I'm literally paying to promote, to reach a percentage of my audience right, versus right. web three where you have on-chain collector data. You can just put all those people into a chat group and say, Hey, if you have an NFT, just come and join this token gated chat group. Um, you know, if you've been a collector of my past work, you now have pre-sale access to the song in an hour in advance. You know, if you hold this membership pass, you can get discounted tickets to shows. You know, like I think the potentials are a lot more exciting. And what I've been seeing a lot more is companies like Premint doing these giveaways where you connect your wallet to a Twitter account to a Discord. And so rather than only having, you know, the wallet address, if you choose to, you can also connect, you know, Web2 data like your Twitter and your Discord. And so when you're starting to create these chat groups, it's a lot easier to see who these people are because it's no longer just zero X dot, 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 dot. It actually has like a Twitter and a discord too. And that picture allows you to actually activate and engage those fans in a much more meaningful way. Cool. One thing, uh, one thing Santi and I talk a lot about is more on the DeFi side of things. Like you've got your makers and compounds and Aves and Uniswaps of the world, like who will win? Will it be like the FinTechs and like the, the JP Morgans and the, the, those folks will like integrate with DeFi or like DeFi will eventually just get like build so quickly uh, that it's impossible to stop. And those folks will become the new, uh, like the new incumbents almost. Uh, in, in in the like music space, how do you think this plays out? Like do, does the ticketing, like does Ticketmaster integrate with NFTs or like does a uh, NFT ticketing platform overtake Ticketmaster? Does a, uh, like a catalog or sound or Royal or something like overtake a Spotify or SoundCloud, even though I know they do different things or like, do they kind of just live symbiotically? I'd say for the next two to five years, it's probably symbiotic, but I think it's obvious to me that over a longer time horizon, all of these new companies will win. I mean, I talk a lot about like innovators dilemma. We see this time and time again with history. These systems that exist today are just not designed to support the new economic structures that are emerging for Web3. And the reason why I'm starting this fund now is I believe over the next five to 10 years in music, there will be new players who have the same caliber of a Spotify. And the goal of the fund is to basically find those companies and invest in them. But to answer your question directly, I would say, yes, there's going to be an entire new generation of music tech companies that are driving the space. And the goal of the fund is to be able to identify and invest into those companies in the early stages. Do you plan on incubating artists? Yes. I mean, it's something I've been doing already behind the scenes for the last like three to six months, but Mm -hmm. totally plan on doing more of it. This is basically like setting up a team around an artist project, doing everything from the development to the community management to the governance, um, helping them think through like long-term strategy around tokenomics you know, eventually giving them an investment from the fund to hire a team around them. But yeah, I mean, just to kind of give context on what my life looks like right now, I work with dozens of artists on like their drops and kind of helping them think through what to release, when to release, what platform, what size. Um, you know, an example of this would be Daniel Allen, who's a bigger Web3 music artist. He had his last EP come out called Glasshouse. We built a custom site for him, did a collection of a thousand, um, you know, unique traits associated with it, four different songs, different quantities and whatnot, um, handled all of the different community outreach, helped him drop his tweet storms, got him in front of a lot of different collector DAOs, you know, did a lot of stuff that feels very untraditional from like a label standpoint, but on the Web3 side, I think is like extremely important. And the role that I want Coop Records to play is I don't really care about how many streams you get on Spotify. That's not my responsibility. And it's not something that frankly, I could help you with if I wanted to. 
but I do know a lot of collectors in Web3. I do know a lot about governance and how to think about tokenomics. And so I want to kind of bring this new piece to the table, which is like the Web3 strategy behind it, and eventually start getting into situations where maybe instead of investing in an artist and buying equity in their parent company, you know, maybe we're signing a deal where we only have a claim on their NFT sales and we're not touching their masters so that they can go and sign a label deal over in Spotify, but then work with Coop Records on the Web3 side to make sure that their NFTs are doing well and being collected by people who have you know, longer time horizons in mind. That's awesome. I guess one last question for me, and, and then we'll do a rapid fire. I want to like get more like fun questions in here, like what you listen to and stuff like that. But like one of the things that, um, you know, I, I'm curious, like if you think that one, how big this industry gets in the next five years and what are the kind of main drivers that can derail that base case and, or, cause I, for instance, when I was investing really on a DeFi, uh, TVL, as, as far as the metric goes, it's not perfect. It's like kind of like eyeballs and internet web too, I guess. Uh, but it's still, it was like surpassed my wildest expectations of when I was like, Ave went from like 1 million in deposits to like 30 billion or so, like in a year. And I was like, okay, wow. Like I, I totally like didn't size up correctly. I'm curious how big do you think, like, what are the metrics that you're looking for? Like, what are the KPIs that you track and it, it, uh, it, for like music entities? To be honest, I'm still developing them. You know, I feel like the collectible markets for music is really, really new and nascent. I don't think that like drawing an analog to vinyl is like perfect. I almost see it as like the combination of like vinyl paired with like hat pins paired with like some form of like merchandise kind of exists in aggregate there. And then on like the longer time horizon, you know, investing in early stage music companies, I think you make analogs to platforms like Spotify to labels like Universal Music Group to companies like Rock Nation is sort of like you know, benchmark unicorns. But then I think what's new here is this concept of creator stock markets that I talked about earlier, where it's like, what is the value of Drake's brand right now? What is the value of like Post Malone's brand right now? Like you can't really answer that question because it doesn't exist. You know, people buy catalog for hundreds of million dollars, you know, where they'll buy like the streaming rights and the future earnings on different songs. But that's very different from like equity exposure on an entire artist's career. And I think that question doesn't have a lot of analogs yet, but it's something that I want to start asking more because I think that unlocks a lot of net new, you know, market opportunity that's very difficult to draw direct correlations to today. Just a clarification point. When you say buying like equity in an artist's career, this is sort of like a, a, a sensitive topic, if you will, because this exists in like stu- like certain type of student loans where you buy like you finance or college and then you get like a future revenue stream on whatever it is that they go work for. And there have been... Some- yeah, I, I guess, didn't you have a token on, for, like, these are like social tokens, I guess, like uh, a social few people token, had yeah, social tokens. Are, are these like a form of social tokens? Like you buy the Kanye token or the Avicii token or the Dua Lipa token? Like, are we going to see that? Uh, like a resurgence of social tokens combined with music NFTs? Or or what do you mean by like having exposure to, maybe it's an indirect exposure to like the artist's career by yeah. virtue of music NFTs? You're exactly right. We will have Avicii tokens, but they're not going to be social tokens underpinned by nothing. These are going to have on-chain treasuries with cash flows, and they're going to very much closely mirror a Uniswap governance token, except investing in a governance token, you're investing in an artist token, but the principles are still the same. You know, they raise into an equity vehicle, they have a couple venture rounds, and then they Mm -hmm. tokenize and do an airdrop to all their collectors. But then underneath the hood, there's kind of this on-chain system that has secondary sales of all your music NFTs, all your membership passes, all your streaming etc. And that's what you're buying is exposure to like the aggregate sum of all their income, not necessarily like a fluffy brand token thing that has no underlying economics. Mm-hmm. These need to be a lot closer related. And that's kind of the intent with the, you know, deals we're signing the artists we're working with is to think through what those markets could look like in five to 10 mm-hmm. years time. Yeah. Last question. And I promise is what I wanted to ask is there's been a lot of discussion recently that I've been seeing around managing a community like StoryDAO, for instance, which is trying to like reinvent kind of in some way, kind of how the community interacts with like content development. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. If like you would ever see the music, the fan artist, you, you talk about the fan and artist relationship kind of evolving and being more intimate, closer, stripping out some middleman. Do you ever see the like the community like influence the music and be a part of the design of the record label. Maybe that's like the easiest, probably the most like, you know, visit like thing that you can imagine is pretty easy to pull off. But like, do you ever see fans like produce music, co-produce music with artists? And like, cause I feel like there's a bit of a hype on, on that. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. If, if you, 
see that to be true and if there are examples of that happening already? Selectively, yeah. I think that virtual artists lend really well to this. But the one thing I want to highlight is that when you're giving equity to your fans, that doesn't mean you're giving up creative control. You know, um, when I buy shares in Tesla, I'm not telling Elon Musk how to run the company. I just have like the ability to vote yes or no, which most people probably won't do in the first place. And so that's the closer analog I would take here. You know, if I buy $5 worth of a Beachy token, I'm not telling him what chords to put in his song, who to collaborate with. I'm basically just saying, hey, I fucking love this artist. I have full trust that they're going to do well by what they're releasing. And if they want to, you know, share a, a governance poll on where, what, titty, what city they should go to next and I can vote with my $5 worth of coins, I think that's a win-win situation for everyone involved. Yeah. Coop, I know, uh, I know Santi said last question. I do have one more question, which is in five years, uh, if some of these platforms, Web3 native, like a Web3 native Spotify does get bigger than Spotify, or if they have a substantial amount of users, could you ever see like uh, basically some aspect of tokenizing the entire song, like where you all aspects of the song get tokenized down to their smallest unit uh, as they're listened to like on chain, the royalties flow back into like in, into the DAO. Uh, and then like you are essentially buying the social token that has the on-chain cash flows flowing into that, into those treasuries. Is that like a world that you're excited about? Or does that feel kind of like a 2017, like put the supply chain on the blockchain type of thing? No, I mean, that's happening today. There's a platform called Arpeggi, which is tokenizing all of these different stems that exist in songs and their focus is on-chain attribution. So if I make a song, I can link back to whose samples are in it. If I sell that as an NFT, I can link back to what percentage of the song belonged to a different artist. Um, there's great projects like Xerox splits out there that people are using where you earmark, you know, an address to have 10% of your primary and secondary sales on your music NFTs. And so, yes, I think all that is very likely. And not only is it likely, it's going to be the exact thing which wins this space because transparency is going to be so valuable and important that instead of having closed record labels that are making hundreds of million dollars off not issuing payments because it's hard to track, everything's going to be happening automatically on chain. And once that happens, I think it opens up an entirely new design space for artists investing. Hmm. Santi wanted to do a, uh, a rapid fire. Quick, I'm going to kick off quick. the rapid fire with one question. Right. Which, Go for it. Go for it. I, I got one question for you, Coop, which is, uh, and then I'll turn it over to Santi, which is, do you still live entirely on a diet of sushi and acai bowls? That is correct. Yes. Can you remind everyone how tall you are? <laughs> I'm a 6'5", ball is life. If you want to come hoop with me at LA Fitness on Sundays, I'll gladly dunk on you and um, put you right in your place. <laughs> Are you single? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> acai bowls and sushi. Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, well. Santi, do not follow this man on Instagram or your acai bowl uh, <laughs> content will just be out of control. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, I, I ate a lot of sushi when I was an investment banker, but that was by choice. Like, there was nothing else really, but wow, that's that's impressive. Um, is that is that the key to like being this, like, can you get taller by eating acai bowls and sushi? I'm just kind of asking for a friend. Uh, I have not found that to be the case, but I'd like to put that out there that if you only Good. eat um, sugar fish and body energy club, that you will grow many inches in a very short period of time. <laughs> there we There's go. That, something funny you said there too, that I want to touch on, which is um, with Coop Records, half of this launch was actually on Instagram too. And something that I found really fascinating was like in crypto, we largely live just on Twitter and like kind of see the interactions from our web three community. But when I posted on Instagram and did like a whole campaign around it, you know, dozens of different artists were sharing it and whatnot. And I think a lot of what's going to win this space is actually less about technologically what's happening under the hood. It's more about like the culture and the story that's forming around it. And so being able to take these projects and go beyond just the web three kind of like Twitter echo chamber that we live in and actually make an impact within, you know, wider creator culture on platforms like Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. You know, I believe that tokenized media is the next major trend for web three whether it's music or photography or blog posts, YouTube videos, TikToks, whatever it might be. I think that the next wave is going to be collecting culture that we already know and love. And so something I would just say is like a shout out to other projects in the space is like try and find ways to get beyond just Twitter because I think there's huge opportunities there. And if you can go out and start to make waves in these larger social platforms, I think it's going to make all the difference in two to three years time. If you were sitting in my shoes at Blockworks, um, I know we talked about Blockworks DAO like a year and a half ago or two years, whenever that was. Uh, sitting in my shoes at Blockworks, what would you do on the media side of things, knowing or having this thesis that all uh, media will get tokenized? I would mint every single form of media that you're making and or selectively just minting the ones that I think you believe are your best work. But for example, I was on Mint Podcast last week um, to debut Coop Records. We minted the episode on Zora, sold 25 editions at 0.02. Is there a market for that right now? Probably not. I think people are doing it for a novelty's sake. But I think over like the next two to three years, there will be markets around your top performing episodes, you know, like writing NFTs on Mirror starting to become more of a thing. You know, people are tokenizing their blog posts, they're tokenizing their music videos. 
And so I would say if I was in Blockboard's shoes, I would just go back and find whatever your top three most played episodes are and then mint 25 editions of them at 0.01 ETH and see what happens. You know, it's funny. We uh, I interviewed SPF, Sam Bankman-Fried, before he was like really, really big. And it now has like, I went, I looked the other day, it's got like 300,000 views. And I still get people messaging me being like, I was one of the first like thousand listeners of that episode. Like I see it has 300,000 views now. Like I never thought about a podcast episode being the same as uh, music in that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you saw like uh, Dee's and Andy, they put out their first podcast as an NFT and it was just an open edition and they ended up minting 2,500 of them and netting like somewhere between like 50 to 60 ETH for the episode. Like even the one I did with Adam last week was like, we did 25 at 0.02. That's like an ETH that you can just kind of like have to distribute Mm -hmm. to guests. And it almost creates this like honeypot mentality where it's like, yo, if I come on the show and I like do a killer episode, like not only am I getting the exposure to it, but there's also like underlying economics that make it worth my time to show up and promote the episode as well. Santi, while you dropped, uh, here's what you missed. We're skipping the we're skipping the rapid fire, and uh, we have to go figure out how to mint our episodes as um, as NFTs on Zora. So there we go. Uh, Coop, uh, let us know what to do, and we'll we'll, we'll follow the gospel. <laughs> uh, I'm here for Coop, it. This is awesome, man. Uh, one, one one last question: Is uh, favorite favorite artist all time? Uh, probably Tycho. Tycho is one that I keep coming back to time and time again. It's like ambient electronic music. It's always been very formative in like my development and something that I know I can just put on in pretty much any situation and just like lock in and get the job done. If we were to do um, podcast karaoke right now, uh, which song and why? Um, just for you, I'd say probably Marshmallow Happier, you know, classic banger, uh, you know, very, very, very uh, underrated song and how... Uh, I think so. How powerful it is, but yeah, it's a fucking anthem, and I think that we would have a great time karaokeing out right here. <laughs> Agreed. Shout out to Marshmallow and Mo and all the great stuff that they're doing. They're crushing it. Um, well, Coop, thanks for coming on. This has been a delight. Um, this is a topic where, I, as I claim, I've not ventured deep into music NFTs, so this is more of an education for me. And uh, you know, congrats. Uh, I think you've you're not afraid. You're not someone that is afraid to stake their ground. It's early. Uh, and I guess we'll definitely have to have you on in a year or two, three, five to revisit everything that was said here. And, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to, to see how this industry, uh, it's certainly very exciting. So thank you for, um, coming on. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, follow you, you're very public. So what's the best way for folks to learn what you're doing? Best places on Twitter at Koopa Troopa. I write a weekly newsletter called This Week in Music NFTs. It's free to subscribe, takes five minutes or less to read. So I'd highly recommend that. Uh, to learn more about the fun, cooprecords.xyz. And then the last thing I would say is uh, Yano here, give a quick shout out to Fred again. So if you want to find me here in LA, I'll be at the Fred again show on September 30th at the uh, Hollywood Fever. So I'm excited to uh, keep the train rolling and see you at some yes, concerts. So. Let's go. He's coming out to uh, New York October 13th. So if you want to uh, join me two weeks later. <laughs> yeah, and I'll all right cool thanks again man a lot of this stuff <laughs> yeah i'm new damn right <laughs> i appreciate you guys if you need anything else from me let me know i know there's also some alpha on like other artists to pay attention to and whatnot so i'll circle back online but um appreciate you guys taking the time to talk about it it was a blast yeah man take it easy thank you sir sure.